welcome back to the show. It's Evelyn, and today I've got Miss Shelby Lewis on, or as I've been, well, we've both been affectionately referring to each other as sis. Yes. Welcome to the show, Shelby. Thank you, Evelyn. I'm so glad to be here. I have adored your podcast, and I really appreciate you calling me sis, because as you know, I am an only child, and the first time you called me that, I just felt so held and special and realized that I didn't even want that year. I hadn't realized yet that that would be so um, precious to me Um, and probably a whole other conversation, but I don't know if you felt this, but as a woman, it's hard to find really genuine female relationships. Um, I've found that to be very difficult without uh, competition kind of creeping in and things like that. And I just, ever since I met you, I, I felt like you were someone who was not only genuine and authentic, but so open and fun. <laughs> and so then for you to like accept me into your chosen family with that tiny little three letter word, I was so pleased. So thank you. <laughs> well, you are welcome a hundred percent. And I receive that too. I'm, I really, um, I want to be, we were just talking about that before I hit record that safe that safe place where people can experience being um, accepted, known, loved. And as an aside, like if you are seeking support, like for me, um, I no longer believe that there's like a special modality that people need to enter into, whether it's coaching, therapy, acupuncture, whatever. I really think it's more about the container of safety Like if we feel safe enough to experience the parts of ourselves that we have disowned, are hiding from, just Mm. need to reconcile, I think that we can find the healing that we seek. And that's my own, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but that's kind of what I'm coming to feel. Absolutely. And are very good at conjuring, truly, because it's so thoughtfully done and from such a warm place. Um, and in the theater world, we use that all the time. Uh, we, we say a safe space, like I want to make sure this is a safe space, depending mm-hmm. on the, the subject matter of maybe the play or something that's even being created in the room. Um, and then in the education world, in the theater zone, we call it even a third space, mm-hmm. which is kind of lovely, of like truly entering into something that has been created for that purpose specifically, rather than kind of sage burning over a current space. Yeah. Um, truly this entering into mindfully a, a place that we've collectively built, but there has to be that leader who says, I will hold this for us. And I am still that touchstone in case something goes, goes um, to a place that's not comfortable. Yeah. Mm. I love that visual too of like Mm. that third room. What does that look like? And what does it look like? You know, both the person who would desire to put it together and both the person who'd be like, what would I like to experience? That's fun to think about. Yeah. And from a nerd perspective in Dungeons and Dragons, (laughs) there's something called Leomid's hut or something where you cast it and it's just this, this clear kind of orb like a half a half circle that um 
it takes a long time to cast, but then once it's there, it's up for like eight hours. And I love that. And it's, and it's see-through, but once you're inside, you can't be seen. Mm. Um, and it's kind of hard to detect from the outside. So I just love that, this, this idea of um, that it takes a little bit of time to do and it's quite customizable, right? <laughs> whatever you'd like in the hut. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Spaces, huts, whatever it, it may be. I think your podcast is one of those sacred spaces. And I really appreciate that. I think especially the intimacy of listening, right? Um, that it's truly in our ears, it's inside. Um, and I think your warmth comes through in that. But in a way you've created that space just by doing this podcast hmm. thank you that's so special you're gonna make me cry we haven't even like really started <laughs> to theater humans <laughs> like what's well, the difference of that and let's physicalize it <laughs> i love it well i want you to introduce yourself to who you are what you're up to in the world and any fun fact you might want to share and then we'll get into our the meat and potatoes hey who am i hmm. um so my name's Shelby, Shelby Lewis, and I have been an actor since I was born. Um, around 11 years old, I finally got in my first play um, and did not know how to audition. I auditioned with a Lutheran hymn and somehow got into the musical and then just did, was hooked as many um, younger artists are and got so into it that I ended up going to a performing arts high school. So at 16, I was very serious was ready to train pre-professionally um, and went into that zone of like, this is what I'm doing, I'm an actor. I ended up from that art school, getting into my dream school in undergrad um, and then going out to Los Angeles. And I was in Los Angeles for a, a total of six years, but the first six months, I had this moment of, oh my God, what if, I don't really want to do this. It's I don't know if I was burnt out as an actor or what, but I just been doing it so seriously my whole life. And um, at the end of undergrad, we get an audition with in front of agents called a showcase in New York and Los Angeles. And I actually got a better agent in New York, but I was a little too scared, I think, to dive into that. I'm from a very tiny town in Michigan, and. Um, that was just a little much. And the idea of Los Angeles with film and voiceover and animation really, really was what kind of drew me there because it was new and fresh. So um, after six years there, I was still acting and auditioning, but I also was exploring the production side. I just knew I wanted, I've always known I wanted to be in this industry, but I didn't quite know or have the courage to, as we will discuss today, um, whether just going as an actor was enough for me or whether I'd ever succeed, right? Mm. So I was real good at the strategic backup plans that had the stamp of, but you're still like in the biz, <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, so from there, I did want to explore teaching. So I, I have got a master's in theater education. I went home for a little bit. I also spent seven months after six years of LA, I went to New York for seven months because I finally had the courage <laughs> and I didn't know if I'd ever get the chance to. Um, so I kind of said like, I could do anything for a year and went to New York and um, saw 
so many shows and just kind of re plunged into theater, which was so different than film and TV in La La Land. And um, which we don't call it that. That's just the, what the movie was, <laughs> but um, it's very apropos. So I've just oscillated my whole life, um, always within this entertainment world, but being in on stage, being backstage, being on the side, wanting to help other people through it. And I'm coming to a sense of peace that all of those things can exist. But what I'm really allowing myself to feel again, which happened through a coaching session with you and I, was this reclaiming of me as an actor. Like I am an actor, even saying that out loud was so vulnerable when you and I met because I was also all these other things and I'm grateful for those other opportunities. And I know I'm a teacher. I know I'm a mentor. I love that side of me. Um, but my actor side was a little abandoned. I had been doing plays. I've kept up voiceover. Um, I just did three auditions this morning. <laughs> so I, I was still kind of doing it, but I, in talking to you, I finally got to say out loud that like, I am an actor. I've always been, I've tried to do everything else. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what you told me so brilliantly, which is what blew my mind and still does is this idea of like, maybe that's where my money is because I knew I had all these limiting beliefs around money. And I love your episode on this podcast about money, um, with the woman you interviewed, um, I got like all the books that you guys talked about. <laughs> it was just so permission giving. Um, but I reached out to you to say like, I am ready to make some fucking money. I'm just ready. And I assumed it was an energetic block. Let's talk about what I grew up with belief wise. Let's talk about the stories I've told myself since. Um, but I'm just at the, at the time of that coaching session, I was getting up at 7 a.m. and had things through 10 p.m. because of this intensive camp gig I had, which paid me the most of the year, but I was hating my life. I love that camp, but at that time of my life, it was not life-giving. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I did, and I made just enough to pay whatever bills that were already passed due. And I was like, what more can I do if I can't put any more in my schedule. So I knew there was a big shift happening and I was so grateful for your guidance, but this idea that the part of me that has always been easy in a way or comes naturally to me. And it's also the thing that I've never really gone for. I was really good at being a student of it, but when I was really doing it every day as the job, I kind of stopped myself and in discussing all that I had tried, you just cut through all the noise and said, what if that's where your money is? Because <laughs> it's literally the one thing I haven't tried. So long story, verbose human, short slash long. <laughs> I am here to talk today with you about what I'm kind of owning, not only myself as an actor, but I think what a lot of people struggle with in whatever their passion of like, I want to be the top of that passion. I want fame and fortune. I want an Oscar. I want all these things, 
that as we get older, we say that's impractical or, oh, that's so cute. You know, people encourage kids all the time. Oh, go be in the play, get some confidence. And then when they have the bug, they go, that's really stupid of you to do. Mm. You know? um, and I feel like I'm here to heal. One of my uh, life purposes is to heal that acting story because I mean, everybody goes home from work and watches Netflix. Like there could not be more of a proof how much actors are necessary <laughs> and mm -hmm. storytellers. And it's all we had during the pandemic. Like we needed actors so hard and there's so much money to be had. But I think there's all of these really limiting beliefs put out by so many people, usually from protective places that it's not practical. Mm. And yet I'm ready to be in the arena to do the Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> Brene Brown quote. And I am ready to go for the Marvel film. The like, you know, people getting jobs every day. People are writing new TV shows and films every day. Why not me? And the only way I won't get that million dollar check and amazing life-changing gig is if I don't try. 100%. Yeah. Okay. That's where I'm at, Ev. <laughs> There's the podcast. We, she's done it. She solved it. Go do. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Great. It's really nice to be. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's interesting um, because there's this through line that actually exists for both of us. And that's kind of, you know, you, you sent me an Instagram message and you're like, I have a podcast episode for us to do. And, and you said like, why is it so hard for us to admit that we want to be rich and famous? And I'm like, let's do it a hundred percent. Right. Because there's a similar through line for me. It's not the same, but for me, um, since I was small now, what you were talking about too, I was like, oh, this is so interesting. You said a Lutheran hymnal, like for me, um, I started getting on stages when I was young to sing, um, for different plays, like for church. And I had solos. I still sing. I, I am a singer. Good and job saying that out loud. Isn't that yeah. weird how hard that is? Yeah. Well, it's like one of those things, um, side note too I had this professor in college I still think about this um so I was an art major I don't know if you know that but um my major my bachelor is a bachelor of arts in with a digital emphasis so graphic design and photography were like my um emphasis but I we had so to graduate we had to present um we had to curate our senior project and present it in a show. And then we had to defend it to our professors. Yeah. And our professors had like wrote rubrics or whatever. And the most of our, our art department was all men except for one woman. And what I created was this whole exhibit that people interacted with. Okay. Short story. I took pictures. I was, I've been like fascinated by the concept of vulnerability since college, really. I'm still like, this is so interesting. Um, but I had these women in my life who had gone through different things that basically had, they felt more closed. And so 
whether it was like there was one specifically who she had been raped when she was little Mm -hmm. and another just different stories so they let me photograph them in places that were indicative of that and I don't know if you've seen the cardboard testimony thing but they wrote basically on the cardboard like how they felt so I I combined the pictures with the cardboard and you had to walk through these pictures and at the end there was a mirror oh and that's what I did too I had them look at themselves in a mirror and write everything they saw so the mirrors their picture and the cardboard were each there and then you come to the end and you there was a there were pens with um there was eyeliner specifically because that's what we used to cover ourselves up yeah we do people wrote on the mirror and on the cardboard and interacted with this and like it was like to see people and what they wrote like I was heartbroken at the same time I was like wow like our humanity is just like so shared like so Mm -hmm. and a lot of the women really understood it Mm-hmm. but the art professors were like we don't get it <laughs> the guys now yeah. the, the woman who ran the art department she was like this is powerful <laughs> and at the time one of my professors wrote on his rubric you are not a shepherd all caps like biggest thing written on the piece of paper and that's what I remember the most because I was like what the hell (laughs) first of all this isn't constructive second of all what how come how can you tell me who I am or not so really like going through and like reading that and like going through that I had to have this like conflict right of going am I not like what what in the world like this wasn't about that but at the same time it still stuck with me, right? It stayed with me. And it wasn't anything that I allowed to inhibit me. It was just something that I was like, hmm, that's what you took away from this. <laughs> so it was one of those things that I still am like, huh, like, what is what does this mean for me? Why am I having such an emotional response to it? And largely, I think it is because a big part of my life has felt a lot like shepherding, um, a lot Absolutely. like- and that first showing was your first sacred space that you set up oh yes hands down hands down and all I'm hearing from his all in caps triggered nature is that he has tried and failed at being a shepherd so far he's in a place of leadership and he has not been able to make that kind of a space. Mm. And I think he got very defensive and I've met that human before so many times. And if anyone's speaking or writing in all caps, we just bless that human. And for me says that you were doing something so right that it hit his insecurity. And I've never thought about that, the sacred space, but I was actually creating those. Now that you say that too, I was actually creating those my whole life, like from early on. So the reason I brought that up too is um, like for me, just like you, Shelby, I have felt this desire to 
lead and speak and influence on a massive level. Mm -hmm. And, and when I first felt like, when I first had this dream, like of seeing myself, like I had this dream of seeing myself on this huge stage in like an arena, like we're not talking like, you know, a small scale kind of deal, but it was early on in my twenties. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm speaking about, but like, that felt like home, you know, and it's still there for me and it's there for you. Right. There's this desire yet. We don't talk about it. We don't, we don't bring it forth or share about it because, because why? So that's what we want to explore in this conversation and just being as open and honest as possible. So that's why I hadn't thought, I actually was thinking about that professor and that the other day, I don't know why, but that's so interesting. Oh yeah. And this idea of the arena being home is very unique and special. I think the people that we follow and we want to exemplify or see as models for us are all those people in those large arenas. But this image of the shepherd, I think is so necessary to remember because not everybody wants that arena. You know, there are people like we, because of who we follow and the content we consume about go, 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 go for your dreams. There are some people that don't have that huge of an arena, you know, that that doesn't ignite them. I think the arena terrifies us even in that home feeling way. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to be there. And there are some people who don't. And there's this great book by Jen Hatmaker. Um, do you know which book I'm talking about? I've not read any of her books. Yeah. Um, a, a friend of mine sent it to me. Um, and in that chapter, um, in one of the chapters, she talks about this kind of level of mainly women, but, uh, people who might not be ignited by something big. It's kind of giving everyone permission to not have this largeness that um, them not having this huge big dream, like everybody doesn't have to go for the arena, I guess is what I'm saying. And it was the first time I'd ever considered that. Like I assumed everybody wanted an Oscar. Yeah. (laughs) I assume everyone wants to be up on that stage. But then when I realized that some people have huge dreams, but they aren't necessarily in arenas. It's like, I want to have a family and a home, you know, and that that is a huge dream for, for some people and other people might not really have that desire that like internal fire slash slightly despairing. Oh no. What if it doesn't happen feeling like some people don't have that motor and we need all of the different levels of people and not all of us have to be go, go, go about the large. Um, so I don't know if that makes any sense, but that felt no. so freaking to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to also let other people be right. Like I, they can say something and I, I don't have to say like, why aren't you taking a motivational speaking class? Because of course that has to be your happiness, you know? So just to honor that what you and I want with that large arena, it is 
not what everybody wants in a good way. You know, it's not as crowded as we think. And it's not as, um, I think there's even lots of different types of arenas. You and I want a certain level of human there. <laughs> we do not want to be in the conference room of a hotel, but there are a lot of different arenas. Um, and I just want to be in it. I love that idea of being in the arena. Mm, yes. Even if we're dirty. And so a friend of mine, what really sparked this and why I think I ended up calling you besides like hating my life at the time, <laughs> my job was um, watching a film on Hulu that was supposed to be uh, put out nationwide, but because of the pandemic was on Hulu, which actually allowed more people to see it. And it was, uh, it's called The Happiest Season. And it was the first queer, Christmas, like like mainstream queer Christmas movie, mm. right? Uh, like the Family Stone, um, but with uh, Kristen Stewart played uh, one of the girls in a relationship. And Kristen Stewart was being like brought home to the fam. And um, my friend who I went to high school with at this arts boarding school, um, and didn't really get into the huge school afterwards, um, went out to LA and has been there for maybe 15 years. And at one point kind of said, maybe this is it. Maybe I just get a gig here and there every once in a while. She was getting like Snickers commercials and things, but not really <laughs> something large, but she still stayed. And she was like, I love this lifestyle. I understand what it is to be an actor, which spoiler alert is to audition. <laughs> you very rarely get to do the thing, right? And a lot of, um, until you get to a certain level. So I'm watching this film on Hulu that she now, after all that time, finally got a break, but it was an overnight success that took 20 years, right? And she co-wrote it. She wrote herself one of the lead roles in like the lead supporting. Um, and uh, from there, it just has been cascading like crazy. Um, and I remember watching the film and I've been watching her success over these years and being so happy for her, but I remember halfway through watching it going, oh my God, I've lost her. Like, and she was the senior when I was a sophomore that I bowed down to, would cry to think about, like she was my idol mm -hmm. <laughs> at 16. And for her to finally have the success, I was overjoyed. And I was also in this place of, oh no, she leveled up and she earned it. Mm. But I had this sinking feeling of like, if I text her and say, great job on the film, I don't know if she'll text back. And it has nothing to do with her heart or anything, but her bandwidth is now at a different place. And I've had quite a few actor friends who, you know, were living on couches, blah, 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 and then suddenly got Final Fantasy and was set for three years. And I remember that guy saying that to me, like, yeah, I kind of made it. And he was still living on this couch <laughs> with his cute dog. And it was just this. So a lot of my friends have had that happen. Mm. And I realized that I wanted to be in the arena. I wanted to be trying for that level because I do see myself as that level and I have seen other people do it. And maybe I just needed that model 
but there's also this idea of what I would lose out on if I didn't at least try. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, um, like a death almost like, a yes. if I don't, if I don't step in, if I don't just give it the shot, mm. it's more painful to not try. It's more painful to stay where I am. Yes. And it became even less about the gig, even though I'd love to get a movie like that, it became about other people, mm -hmm. right? Of like other people, I want to be around those people that we've modeled since we were little, you know? I want to meet Oprah. I want to go in her avocado orchard and like have, and hang out. I yeah. and, and people do that every day. Like normal people, quote unquote, you can't see air quotes on the, <laughs> the podcast, but people meet Oprah. Like Oprah is also a person and there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, but so much of it is just kind of sticking around and, and loving the, the place that you're at kind of honoring the arena we've gotten to so far. Think about that. Like both of our little Lutheran hymn singing humans, <laughs> right? I think even, did you take me through that exercise of my younger self looking at me? Probably. Probably. Sounds like an, an Evelyn. There was this idea of like, what would that very clearly like horrible haircut braces looked like a scrawny little boy at 11 who just started doing plays. If she met me right now, she would be that same idol that I was of my friend, right? Of just honoring like how far we've come. Even though I'm so obsessed with, oh, I know the arena I want, but that was a really helpful exercise for me. So what do you think your, your singing at church, Evelyn would say to you right now? So like as a little girl, my like highest ambition was to be a good friend, like to really be like, like I'm getting emotional, but to just be a friend, like that safe space of, of, Hey, you're welcome here. It gets mm -hmm. to be awkward. You get to be and have full permission to live your life at an 11 or at a two, like <laughs> what do you want to do with it, <laughs> you know, and, and letting that be okay. Um, mm -hmm. letting it be, I remember too, even as, um, like for my, as a, as a child, my best friends in school were actually my teachers. Um, Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I was very drawn to them. Um, but I remember having this like sense of otherness for my classmates, not because, not because I thought they were lower than me, but because I felt like, Hey, it's my job to protect you. Like it's my job to, to like help you through this thing. And I remember this distinct, <laughs> this distinct, uh, there were this group of girls in fifth grade who were bullying another girl. And I just walked up to her and I said, they're not your friends, but if you need a friend, I'll be your friend. <laughs> and I think that we were friends after that. Um, but just, you know, if I was looking back, honestly, like my ambition I was always singing 
and dancing and playing the teacher. Like, so is always the one, you know, who's performing on some level and, um, and, and befriending. So I love um, how universal that purpose is to be a friend, right? And in how many ways we can do that, mm. right? By being a coach, by being a podcaster, by who knows in the future, by being a motivational speaker, you know? And I'd love to ask you in a second what kind of rich and famous means to you specifically, like as you're dreaming. But before I ask you that, um, this idea of being a friend and having it be so universal. I'm now thinking about what that is for me. I'm about to kind of launch a little bit of an umbrella business myself, trying to incorporate all of the weird titles I've been. Mm -hmm. And even just now, as I say it, I'm judging it as weird. No, it's been expansive and full of curiosity, <laughs> trying to change that story. But to find that umbrella, um, especially for people who are multi-passionate or have tried many things and maybe have been judged as scattered or something. Um, I've done a lot of work on that with myself of, of taking away that judgment mm -hmm. because actors especially are naturally curious um, and because we humans are our, our art form. So I just love people. Um, and the umbrella that I've found by trying to figure out what it would be in, in a business, like in a service way, is this idea of um, making courageous choices, mm -hmm. like cheerleader, but in the professional way. <laughs> um, professional encourager, people have said too. Um, but I, I think one of my gifts is, and my, and my compulsions is to have someone say, I really, it means a lot to me to make a sacred space. And then I'm on the alert for you already made a sacred space when you were little and you didn't realize it, you know, of just kind of empowering people through honoring what they've already done mm. and rooting in their authenticity, almost like knowing that there's a light inside there and me just kind of fanning the flame of you're already amazing. Mm. Let's just identify some of my favorite things are like, what's your nerd, right? What is your superpower? Let's just lean into those things. What makes you so unique um, that, or what would people surprise, be surprised to hear about you, you know, even a little bit more intimate. And then once they kind of laugh about it and go, oh, I guess that I said, let's find a monologue for that. You know, let's find whatever will show. I met the super sweet girl the other day, who's now a client and she's very boppy and cute and um, has this kind of youthfulness about her. And then the more I asked her some fun questions that seemed a little off the wall and sometimes don't yield much helpful results, but she, she had this whole goth side mm. and it was so fun because it's something unexpected. Um, and in an audition setting, that's really helpful. So as her audition coach, I pulled this like farcical vampire <laughs> piece that when she read it out loud for the first time, there was just something unlocking inside of her of, oh, this really gets, this was written before I said my weird thing to someone that I just met, you know, and to see someone like really feel seen and then 
because of that, them wanting to really do it confidently instead of getting a quote unquote good monologue and then doing it correctly. It's more like, let's find you first and then we'll get the pieces that highlight that. Mm. So that idea, I'm not sure if, if a word came up for you within all of that of what my umbrella would be, but that's what I'm kind of trying to clarify right now. Um, the word that kept coming to mind is almost like you are enrolling people in their identity, Ooh, um, right? Because yeah. that's what I find too with like small business owners and creatives, right? They're wanting to sell a product or a service, but they're not enrolled in their own product or service. Mm. They didn't enroll themselves first. And that's the issue. Um, why won't this thing sell? Well, do you, do you want it to sell? Like, cause if it's just a means to an end, then you're probably not having a lot of passion in what you're presenting. Right. But if we can actually go behind the scenes and go, so like, what is that thing that you want to unlock or you want to step into actually and because that's that's one of my favorite things too is seeing that fullness and freedom of that expression of yes. whatever that thing is and it's not right or wrong and maybe it looks smaller or different like smaller I say smaller because to me when I say friend right as a word which is oversaturated overused I used mm-hmm. to begrudgingly be like you want to be a friend to people like <laughs> you know But really, truly, and like, even at the beginning of this podcast, right, you sense that from me Mm. in our interactions, which to me is, is worth everything because you're allowing me to live into my gift too, right? Which is, which is life. It's breath. And so, because to me in this world that we live into, finding friendships who have that depth who have that um the the desire to have conversations that are hard or that make you feel uncomfortable or whatever we're not just like chatting to pass the time and get through to the next time we can just go home and hermit you know whatever (laughs) that looks like I've never understood that like why are you hanging out with people that you don't like well I need to network or I need to whatever and I'm like well, if you go and you're miserable, I don't know what network you're expanding into, but it's still not <laughs> sounding great. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the word that kept coming to mind is like enrolling identity. Yeah. Authenticity I'm working with a lot too. And all of those are pillars of acting even. Mm-hmm. And in our coaching session, I'm so glad you said it again here, but in our coaching session, you said to me, acting is your breath. And I wrote that down so hard in a million places because back to our rich and famous idea, I think I was nervous that I would go for the fame and fortune with something that came easily to me. I was really good at being a student and feeling challenged. And then, and then when I was out and doing it, it was almost like it, wasn't challenging enough or it was challenging in ways that I hadn't prepared for, like the logistics and also how lonely it can be. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have three auditions a day uh, in Los Angeles, you are driving 45 minutes-ish for like 
five miles <laughs> just to get to the next place and you walk in and there's 15 people that are dressed exactly the same as you because you're there for banker number two <laughs> like, yeah csi and no one's talking to each other because that would be unprofessional but also there's that air of competition and i'm a smiley supportive human and so to go from this place of i have literally all of these green lights from getting into place getting into a, the premier performing arts high school getting into the top drama school of the nation and then getting an agent in LA and then I was at these places and I had no community I had no um no I didn't know if I needed a support system I just didn't realize how how solitary it was and how much I appreciated the theater world of ensemble you know, you're in a cast, you're in this together, highs and lows, opening night, high slash terror, closing night, the worst thing that's ever happened, but also thank God I get to sleep a little more. <laughs> and, you know, you, you have people to do this with. And so that was such a huge shock for me when I went out there and was finally, quote, doing the job. And now I feel very prepared for what that is. But since you and I talked, I have had to try that on more and more, but I also have more people in my life that are my deep friends, very much quantity over quality, lies, <laughs> very much quality <laughs> over quantity. I mean, there's only a few people I text in my phone and I don't need, even when I went to grad school, they were all, all of, it was a cohort of women and they were not my people. And they were, I think they enrolled in grad school to get some friends. And I was like, I don't need any more friends. If I met new ones, great. But I, I was completely, I had my people, you know? And so it, I still think it goes back to those sacred spaces that even maybe we've made for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So within those places of safety that we have mined and cultivated either with morning routines or mantras or <laughs> certain podcasts that were like, oh my gosh, I need that truth today. Um, I now feel ready to go back out into the industry. Um, my friend, a friend of mine uh, describes it as a comet. Like when you go for the arenas that we want getting ready for that kind of burst of I'm all in. But we talked, I think last, probably about six months ago, and it's taken me that long to own, oh gosh, shit, I really do want this. And then trying that on and then to have this morning, like have three auditions, even though I'm not even in LA quite yet. Um, I feel like I'm getting that muscle back. And it's okay that it takes a little bit of that time, but uh, I, we, you know, are really, we're gonna move back to Los Angeles and I'm going with a partner that I love, found the love of my life, huzzah, that helps. <laughs> I have new friends out there. I have friends that were my buddies when I was there that I've kept in touch with, but only those select few, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm going out there again not alone. Hmm. And that's really, really helpful to me, but it makes sense why people go to LA, go to New York right out of school. And most 
stop after two years because they're like, that's not, that, that isn't me getting the lead in the musical. Mm. <laughs> that's not how it works. Well, but I love too the concept of not being alone, not just because you've developed those relationships, but you've developed relationships from a place of being yourself. Mm-hmm. Because when we allow ourselves to say, I'm a singer, I'm an actress, I'm a speaker, I'm a coach, whatever that looks like, whatever, whatever, whatever we, we need to step in and stand in on the platform in the arena, we're allowing that energy to come through us. We're allowing to, to attract other people into that energy to see us, experience us, help and equip us in ways that they couldn't when we're hiding, when we're yeah. like, I don't want to admit this thing. Like, I don't want to admit it. Yeah. <laughs> what will, what will Susie think down the street? Or what will those little ladies sitting in the pews think if I say fuck? Like, <laughs> you know, whatever it looks like, whatever, whatever we're trying to squeeze ourselves into or push down um, in order to stay safe in the mm-hmm. identity of like, well, I don't want to make too many waves or, or whatever that looks like. Um, and you know, those two little ladies would be the first one to watch my Netflix series and that Susie down the street would be front row of your huge stadium speech and probably take all the credit of like, oh yes, we talked about it down the street many times. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, they don't watch it. Are they, because they're too scared to live in that expansion themselves. Yes. I think what we forget is that when people are throwing stones or speaking out of their pain or their limits, sometimes it is because they, they're going like, whoa, 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 that's uncomfortable. I don't want, I don't want you to be unsafe. I don't want you to get hurt. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's because, well, if you expand it's going to make me even more uncomfortable in my already crummy discomfort that I'm like already creating for myself. Right. And so for us, because we've looked inward and we've attracted people like each other that are also doing the same. When I saw my friend succeed, I just was so happy for her and knew that if we didn't have a relationship anymore, it was because of me not trying and it inspired me. Yes. You know? And that's because we've done the work. <laughs> well, and a point of notice too. Let's say you saw another friend and it was jealousy instead of maybe you the the feeling that we recognize first is jealousy about somebody else doing something. And so I had my first business coach. She loves to talk about how jealousy is actually not wrong. It's actually a great indicator of something that you yourself are meant for. We cannot physically see something or visualize something that we are not meant for. We can't do it. If you can see it and you can visualize it for yourself, then, then you can be invited into that too. So changing your dynamic and your relationship too with jealousy of going like, what is this inviting me into? What Mm. is this jealousy actually telling me about what I actually want? What is it? Because then, you know, when we are threatened by somebody, it's usually because we're coming from a place of scarcity. There's not enough room for me. If Mm. they're doing it, then I probably can't because the world's already saturated 
but like look around, right? How many different pairs of jeans are there in the world? Like seriously, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's like going into a bookstore if you want to be an author and you go to a bookstore and go, oh, see how many books there are. Like they don't need mine. How would I ever even break through this or whatever? Or going into it and going, look all these books that got published. Mine right. totally is too. There's a market for this. Hallelujah. Yeah. That person. There's new books published every day. People are buying it. That means there's a market for it. And anytime yeah. too, we're having like struggles with talking about to like wanting to sell your product or service. I keep coming back to like people buy clothes for their animals. So, and a couple months ago, there was this woman, I don't even remember who it was, who was selling her farts in a jar for a thousand dollars. And I'm like, <laughs> take that and know that it's not about the product, the service, the whatever you're making it about and, and really actually own like, well, this is something I want. This is, this is craving to be expressed by me and instead focus on that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything about you. I think that's, you know, one of the things I think that do keep us smaller is that fear of judgment. Like if I admit that I want to be rich and famous, like mm -hmm. who's going to judge me for it? I'm like, well, whoever's going to stay right where they are judging you for it. Right. Right. Isn't admitting that. And I think sometimes we, we think of rich and famous as attention grabs or um, non-altruistic, right? You talked about that even in the religious episode of that um, we have this concept of, of the monk or without material possessions and stuff is actually very, um, is kind of the only way to be, I don't know, humble or whatever, but righteous, righteous, but there are so many other resources that say it is your job to get rich because if you really want to help this homeless person on the street, like make a million dollars and then create a shelter where they can have a bath and have resources and stuff like that. Like making money is actually the only way that we can truly make a difference. And what we, what the deep desire that is in you and I to be rich and famous is so we have the influence and the resources to touch as many people as possible because at the very bottom of all this, we want to help. That is what we want. You called yourself a healer even before we started this. That is so true for me of you. That's exactly how I feel. Just the way you hold space and the way you listen and the way you um, model just the simplicity of what one question can do to then blow my mind for six months and literally lead me to moving back to the place that scared me <laughs> and going all in, right? Like that is such a gift and that is what you want to do for more people. And that's why we want a stadium of Evelyn so that more people can be exposed to that. And what is shitty about that at all? Not one thing. It's the sweetest you could ever be. <laughs> <laughs> and, right? 
the most expressed, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not something I think too, something I think that we fault ourselves for when we're feeling these like impulses, the dream that I had, like, that's not something that I was like giving myself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> not something that, you know, and I, cause therefore at first when I yeah. started feeling that way, I was like, Ooh, like, Hmm. I don't want people to think I'm full of myself. I don't want to, I don't want people to think that I think that I'm better or whatever. And to your point too, that's when I started realizing too, down the line, it took me a little bit of time, but down the line, recognizing we do have different roles to play different. Mm -hmm. And, and so like me wanting to speak on a stage and impact people and influence them. So for the next six months, they can't rest until they do this thing. Like I love that because mm -hmm. I love being that friction, right? I want to be the agent of friction so that yes. you can't stay where you are, that you can't help, but be moved towards that fuller expression, right? Yeah. Is, is no different than someone wanting to, to bake the most perfect starter of sourdough bread for their <laughs> family and feed them. Like yeah both are nourishing both have their own place and so I don't think that there's a hierarchy we create that right mm -hmm. and we try to quash these things yeah. to keep us stuck or safe into into these limits mm -hmm. so that so that we can stay more comfortable in our pain not pain yeah. we may never recognize our suffering anymore because we're so used to feeling this wonky way of being in the world that's been archived by patterns and habits of other people's limitations that have been pressed on us, you know, that we don't even know what it feels like to walk in the fullness of who we are anymore. What and that fullness of who we are is yes. so right. Cause we are afraid at first that people will, like you said, think we're full of ourselves, but we are so powerful and triggering to other people because we're full of ourselves. We are literally full of our authentic selves. And some people get mad at that and some people get completely ignited. And remembering too, like, who is it for? First mm -hmm. and foremost, like, it's okay that it's for you. It's okay that it's an outlet or an expression or something that you just want to give to the world. Like, I can't think of anything more beautiful than that, right? Yeah. That's why we have paintings. That's why we have expressions of cinema and theater and, <laughs> and, and, and those Grammy performances, right? Because we felt it all out. We felt that person playing full out and are like, insides were like impressed impregnated with that performance that expression we couldn't help it we were moved we yeah. we were encountered in a, yeah. in a whole new way yeah and people seek out that experience of being moved so we're just giving them what they want exactly because who so does what, yeah go for it i was gonna say so what's your um kind of quick version of what rich and famous means to you ah uh, rich and famous means to me it 
It means that I am being fully expressed um, in, in the modality of healing friend speaker and generating the wealth that I desire to be able to do exactly what I want to do in the world. If I see a need, I can fulfill that need. Mm. Um, not only for myself or my family, but for the people in front of me, uh, mm. because, and, and Serge and I talk about this sometime, you know, I, when we're looking at like, like a stuff that's blowing up about racism, or we're looking at the stuff that's going on, um, with Ukraine and Russia, all of these things that happen in the world, I'm sitting and chewing on like, where are the roots how can we keep this from happening? I can't help myself, but from a like large scale, like I feel a burden mm. to, to lead better, to do better by people and without resources, without, and, and with those resources and connections that I can make from being connected to Oprah, to the Dalai Lama, to mm -hmm. whoever, so that we can start implementing some change change and and foundational pieces to get to the roots of these things that we see that's what rich and famous looks like to me yes and how about for you oh I know I was thinking about it um someone asked me once when I was feeling scattered and not knowing what exactly I wanted to do with my life thinking I only had to have one title a really clarifying question for me was what was your best day of work so far Mm. And it came to me immediately. I did not expect that to come so quickly, nor what it was. But it was when I, um, the first voiceover audition I ever did was for a contest. And I won the contest. Mm. And I got um, an audio book. That was my, my thing and my prize. And it was my first professional voiceover gig. And it was kind of for a budding platform. And suddenly, I mean, Audible, iTunes and Amazon had this new little brainchild and I was this weird contest winner. So I became kind of the poster child for it for about a year. And it was when I was still in Los Angeles. And when it kind of came around to the one year anniversary, uh, they, called me up and said, hey, would you do this panel at a voiceover conference for audiobooks with Scott Brick, who is like, he did the Dune series. He's the top male audiobook narrator. That's awesome. <laughs> and yeah, he did like Dan Brown novels, huge. And so he was obviously going to be the established human and I was the young spunky, I just started, but it went well. <laughs> And it was uh, he and I, and then this executive from, from Audible. And I was so alive. I was so calm. The nerves were there, but of that yummy opening night feeling. And it was probably, probably, you know, three, 4,000 people just because of what the venue was. And it had obviously days of, of um, content available. And that came to mind so fast of my best day of work because I was featured as someone who had been successful 
and who someone else could look up to. So I loved that attention. I loved that recognition. And then I loved my place on that panel, which was, wow, he's done everything, uh, huge credits and everything. And I was the accessible one saying, well, this is how I did my first thing. I love telling my audition story of, I, I started with a Lutheran hymn. That's all I knew how to sing. I, that's a passion and a gift of mine to be able to be on that stage, that level of stage stamped as a professional and a, and a successful one, and then be the person who goes, you can totally do this too. Let me help. And afterwards, uh, we, we went to a certain place in case someone wanted to meet us or ask questions. And my line was so long and I fucking loved it. That's awesome. <laughs> connected with each person. And I felt like I was impacting them. And I was like, this is such a place of service. I think I got paid for it, but I don't remember because <laughs> it didn't matter, you know? And that to me would be fame and fortune, like having a, a, enough cr the credits and the position to be sought after so just given offers or every day something pops up in my inbox it says would you like to do this here's a lot of money and I would and I would have that choice so I think the idea of being in choice and being um at that level that my friend is now after her film of I I have made it enough that I have I have possibility and um, also some things that are, are generating all the time of kind of constant income that I then can take risks from and that I can help people, that I can see those dreams in their eyes and me say, because um, I coach a lot now, I coach young artists on these auditions for the high school that I got into and summer programs and BFA acting programs. And I almost feel a responsibility to go back in the industry full-time as an actor so that I can serve them better. Mm. I got into my dream school. So I feel like I'm an authority on helping you get into yours if we can, but now I want to serve that community even further mm. by then doing <laughs> coaching on how I got into a Marvel film, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Using the richness of your own experience of your own blood, sweat and tears Yeah, that you can also, yeah. Normalize that process uh, because yeah. it is, it's a process. Just as And I tell all these young artists, like I told you at the beginning of how necessary actors are, and I promise you can make money and I'm ready to not just have the stories of my friend did this and this guy got this video game and my friend has a really big house in LA, I promise. <laughs> I wanna be that example. Yep, here's the proof. I have, yeah. I've, I can, uh, my life is the living proof. Yes, that's, but, that is the same in fortune to me. Yes, but just as you did for me earlier, recognizing that your life is already proof. It's already proof of you stepping into that expansion of you going after it just by being responsible to that urge of going, mm. I am a willing participant in this higher expression that I'm being drawn into. Yeah. You're already qualified. And we're already rich and famous. 
That's right. It's true. <laughs> the law of polarity. Yeah, it is true. It is true. David Nagel, who I know you've been listening to. Oh, love. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we're going to end this segment here um, and this will air first, but you should come back next week because we are going to set up now so that I can do a live coaching session with Ms. Shelby so we can uh, continue a conversation just in a little bit different way. So yeah. thanks for being on. Love having you here. Thank you so much for that conversation. It's really affirming and um, inspiring. And I'm just getting more and more jazzed to risk because the more I do even the little steps towards it, uh, it there's exponential energy coming back of, oh, that was so cool and close. And being in the arena after being so terrified of it for so long, there's no no comparison. It's so fun. Like the, the fear is that opening night, yummy fear Mm. of, I don't know how this is going to go, but I would much rather be opening a show than being in the audience going, Oh, good. They opened a show ready to be on the stage in the arena. And we are deserving of huge crowds and we shall have them. Yes, we shall. Hey, thanks so much for being part of this community and for being here with me. It means the world. It really does. Um, If there's somebody else that needs to be in this conversation, please share this with them. Um, I would love to continue growing this community. And also, if you have just a quick two or three minutes, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing a review um, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You know, a lot of times we're making decisions about where to invest our time and our money and our resources, and we check out reviews uh, to make decisions on where we're going to invest our life. So if this has been something to your life, um, which I'm so glad that it does, I would love for you to leave a review and share this podcast with your community so that we can continue to grow um, in knowledge and love with one another. So until next time.